Praise the Lord. Amen. So we're, we're, we're still talking about Romans 5. This Romans 5, second part of Romans 5. Romans 5, part 2. We're going to read from Romans 5, 6 to 11. Romans 5, 6 to 11. Romans 5, 6 to 11, I read. It says, When we are utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is essentially, especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was uh, restored by the death of his Son, while we were still his enemies, we are certainly we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our in our wonderful new relationship with God, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You know this living New Living Translation. You know, I think, you know, what the Lord was kind of trying to open my eyes with is, you know, you know, you think about, say, for instance, he gave me this example. He says, if you have a parent that is extremely wealthy, you know, you know that the parents will take care of you, the child. The parents will take care of you, the child, because the parent is extremely wealthy. And... You know, you see that also. The other thing you will notice is that the the, the child will not even lay, raise a finger to do anything. The child will have everything at his fingertips. So basically, you have a butler, a cook, or, you know, a guard, a driver, the whole thing. You know, but think about it this way: if for some reason, they lost everything. If the parents lost everything, they became broke. What would happen? It means that they will start to. It will be a first. It will be a shock to their system, and they will be completely shocked. And also, they will be helpless and hopeless. Do we agree? They will be helpless and hopeless because, you know. They will, they will feel like, what am I going to now do now? If I I wasn't cooking for my for myself, somebody cooked for me. Now it means I have to go and learn how to do what to cook. I wasn't driving for myself, even though yes, I had a driver's license. Or some people might never have a driver's license because you know what they have somebody that will drive for them. You know now they have to go and learn how to drive, learn how to cook, learn how to wash dishes. Learn how to re- just learn how to do everything for themselves, you know. So there's some form of helplessness and some form of hopelessness. 
you know, this is the same thing that happened with us. You know, when when during the time of of um, Adam, the Bible says that Adam, you know, Adam basically had everything, and you 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 see that he had everything. Why? In the Garden of Eden, God provided everything for him. If you read that aspect of, if you whenever you have the opportunity, read Genesis two, you see how God provided everything. But only thing he told him was, do not touch what? That's tree. <laughs> That's tree. Well, he says, well, everything you, everything else, you can, you is yours. So, and you know that, you know how it, it is that God brought the animals and what Adam named them, one after the other. You say, ah, this one looks like giraffe. Okay, we're going to call him giraffe. <laughs> this one looks like crocodile. We're going to call him crocodile. This one looks like chimpanzee. We're going to call him chimpanzee. He named all of them. So he had creative... His mouth was creative. He was able to create stuff. He had everything at his disposal. But what then happened? The enemy now, the enemy now did what? Spoke to, to Eve. He spoke to Eve and, and, and told Eve, has your father said, and you know how he always, he always talks to our, our did, did God say, did he really say, are you sure he said so? Did he really mean it? Maybe you should check it again. And what then happened was, Adam and Eve got what? Banished from the garden. The same way. Like the rich, the rich, the rich family that got broke. They started to fend for themselves. That's what Genesis, Genesis 3, 17 to 19 says. Genesis 3, 3, 17 to 19 in New Living Translation says, And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Excuse me. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. He says, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and you return as dust. So can you imagine? He says, now you're going to struggle to do what? To make a living. But, but what happened? When, when God created the world, he says, when he created, he said the world was void. He said he created all these things. And he says, but ah, there was nobody to tend. And what did he do? He brought Adam to do what? And he gave Adam, says, take everything. Take everything. You have creative abilities. Take everything and you have creative abilities. Do as you will. So he had everything. But what then happened? The enemy came. The enemy came and deceived Adam. 
And Adam, what happened? He opened the door for the enemy to come and finish us. And that's why you see that you have to really struggle to make a living. And when you don't struggle to make a living, the Bible says the thing will fly away like a, a bed. The money will fly away like a bed. Adam had to do everything for himself now. And he seen, the sin of Adam allowed the devil to operate freely as he chooses. The, the devil was operating freely. Now you have to fend for yourself. Now you have to do everything for yourself. You have to cook for yourself. You have to you have to you have to do everything. It's for, for me it's you know why you know look at what the Lord says. He says Adam had everything. Adam who had everything had to fend for himself. And you know another thing, apart from fending for himself, like I said, he allowed the devil to come in. So do you know what happened? It was double trouble. You know, there's, he, 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 there was now a problem he had on his hands. Adam had to do, I keep saying, Adam had to do everything for himself. And it's, it was a problem. It says, do you know that that's what happens now? We, we not need to fend for ourselves. You know, we have to now, you know, Look at, what, look at what the Lord says. They have to fend for themselves and also the sin. Sin allowed the devil to do what? To have free reign on earth. Second um, Corinthians 4, 4a. Second Corinthians 4, 4a. That's the first sentence. When I say 4a, is the first sentence. You see, the Bible says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. So basically, what is the, the God of this world is Satan. So can you imagine whereby you're helpless and hopeless, and now you have Satan on top of that? It means it means it's like work. I, 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 how like you? It's like anything you do, it will not. It might not succeed. Because you have an enemy, you have you have an enemy that is trying to thwart and stop progress. You have an enemy that doesn't want you to progress. So it's like you you go, you go five steps forward, and the enemy will draw you back ten steps back. You see why I say double trouble. Inner is 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 in now big problems. I I that's why I said the God of this world is on the job. Is on the job. Adam lost everything to the devil. You see, that's why gambling is evil. That's why gambling is evil. For everyone to lose everything to gambling. It is evil. The devil, Adam lost everything to the devil. The devil allowed him to lose everything. That's why you know what what the devil did was was complete sin. 
was completely evil. You know, it's the same, it's the same bread like alcohol. It's the same thing like alcohol. People, why do you think they call it spirits? Think about it. They say sometimes, you know, the hard, there's, there's, the, there's the hard liquor. They call it spirit. Why do you think it's spirit? Because see, what happens? It controls the person. It influences the person to drink away their paycheck for the month. That's evil. People will go, people will go to get their paycheck and go to the bar and drink their whole paycheck. And sometimes people say, oh, but it's, it's alcohol. It's not that bad. You know, you know, it's it's a it's a little fire that can for for California to be burning was a little fire somebody set. Somebody set a little fire. And the little fire now is burning all over the place. For that little fire. Somebody drank little drink. He said, Oh, it's just, it's just a little drink now. It's not that bad. And that little drink, what happened? Now the person is now becoming an alcoholic. Small thing that happens, maybe there's a there's a depression. The person now becomes starts to drink more and more and more and more and more. And before you know it, becomes a drunk. An addiction. Before you know it, it becomes an addiction. And that's how people lose their their whole their whole their whole life. Because of that evil that the end that is in there, that is lurking. And you know, in this country, if you if they catch you, for instance, you know, you, you have a DUI driving while uh, while intoxicated, what then happens if influence of alcohol, what happens is they give you the first strike. After like three strikes, you they'll take your driver's license. You're done for, for now ten years. So the thing is, is evil. is inherently evil. So man and woman are so hopeless. Men are so hopeless. When I say men, man and woman, we're so hopeless that, you know, we're hopeless and helpless. That we don't know what to do with ourselves. You see a person, have you, have you seen this? A person that has all the money. He has so much money, he doesn't know what to do with the money. But he's still unhappy. He's still unhappy. People are looking, uh, are, are looking in the wrong places for a solution to human problem. People are looking for hope. Hope cannot be found in material things. It cannot be found in drugs. It cannot be found in alcohol. Or anything that you can put your hand on. Our hope is found in Christ alone. In Jesus alone. So the solution to human problem or the solution to the issues of life is Jesus. Jesus. 
Jesus came at the right time to bring hope. He came when we were hopeless. He came when we were on the verge of giving up. He came when, you know, into an imperfect world. He, he was not, he, he didn't have to wait for you to be perfect, but he came to perfect you. He came to make you perfect. He came to work in you. To clean you. Think about it. You cannot put, this is what the Lord, the Lord explained to me. He says, you cannot put, excuse me, David, give me this thing because you're making noise. Come on, stop. You cannot put a clean clothes in a washing machine. If somebody sees you putting clean clothes in a washing machine, they'll think you have uh, lost your mind. There's something wrong. So you cannot put you cannot put clean clothes in what? In the washing machine. You put dirty clothes in the washing machine. So for us to come into the kingdom, the Lord says you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to be who you are. And I will perfect you. So when God comes just at the right time to lay his hands on us, you, you wonder, what is this, this right time? The right time is when, when we are able to give, when we are about to give up. The Bible says, Christ comes at the right time to save us from death. Think about this for, for me. A man is in a hospital and he calls the name of Jesus. What happened? Jesus will answer him and do what? Transform him. Just at the right time. He's about to die. He's about to give up. He's about to, he's about to, he's about to throw in the towel. He says, you know what, I can't, I can't do it anymore. And what happens? And the Lord says, you know what? If you call upon my name, he says, I will answer you. So, even when you're an unbeliever, you call on the name of Jesus, he will answer you because you're calling on, on his name. You know why, why I said this? Remember the, 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 the I, look, I read, I read, um, Luke 23, 39 to 43. Luke 23, 39 to 43. It says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you are the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And us too, while you are at it. But the other criminal protested. He says, don't you fear God? Even when you are being sentenced to death? Sentenced to die? He said, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, 
I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. What is Jesus telling him? Look at this man, he's about to die. And he, he, do you know how much how much sin this guy must have committed? He was a criminal, he was killing people, he was doing all kinds of things. Can you imagine how much sin he, he how much sin how much sin he did? That God still did what? Forgave him. He called on Jesus. Jesus did what? Did what? Forgave his sins. Jesus doesn't wait for us to be perfect to change. Jesus just wants you to come as you are. He really want this. This is why the good. That's this is why he says good news. That's why it's called the good news. It's not called the bad news. It's called the good news. He says, "Come as you are. Come the way you are. Come the way you are. And if you come the way you are, I will do what." I'm the one that will do what the transformation is in my hands. And you know, that's why the Bible says God sent his son because of, of the love for humanity. Jesus is the anointed one because he gives hope. When you are hopeless and helpless, he does what? He gives you hope and he makes you hopeful. To bring, and, and, and that's why Jesus, he brought us back into this relationship with himself, with his Father, with the Holy Spirit. To bring us back to where? The, the gab, Garden of Eden again. He, he wants to bring us back to what? The paradise. That's why I always call Garden of Eden paradise. To bring us back to paradise. So we can come back to paradise. Where everything has been provided for. Where everything you have. Praise the Lord. So Adam. Adam was not. How Adam was defeated by the devil, but Jesus defeated the devil. You see, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Adam was defeated by the devil, but Jesus defeated the devil. He defeated the devil on the cross. He defeated the devil when he died. He defeated the devil when he rose from the dead. And that's why you have to preach Jesus crucified. He died and resurrected. And that's where the excitement is. And this is the demonstration, the demonstration of the love of God in action. He is forgiving in spite of all that we have done, all that we are doing. Can you? I, I keep can you, I keep trying to imagine the the criminal, the criminal. What all he did. You know, someone there could be somebody in Rikers. The guy could have killed a whole family, a whole family of seven. Or eight, and he calls on the Lord in Rikers Island. God is so merciful to forgive him and say, Come into my kingdom, my dear son. You're still gonna pay the price and the penalty of what of your crimes, but he still accepted him, and that's the love of God. 
That is the absolute love of God. And that's why Romans 5, 8 says, that, that we just read, it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Romans 5, 8. That is the absolute love of God. Because I, you know, I think about I think about the the, the 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 Israelites on their journey to the journey from Egypt. Upon all they did, upon all they did, God was still with them. Nehemiah nine nineteen to twenty one. Nehemiah nine nineteen to twenty one says, "But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them." to die in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud still led them forward by day. The pillar of fire showed them the way through the night. You sent your good spirit to instruct them and you did not stop giving them manna from heaven and water for their thirst. For 40 years, for 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked what? Nothing. They lacked nothing. Their clothes were not worn out. Their feet did not swell. Do you know that these people, the Israelites, they, had a, they have an inferior covenant. We have a more superior covenant. So if they haven't, think about it for a second. If this doesn't get you excited, I don't know what would. But if if they had an inferior covenant and they lacked nothing and their clothes were not worn out, what about us that we have a better covenant? What about us that our covenant is much better than them, is more superior than them? Do you think we will lack anything? When the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. So why are we still crying? God, I still need this. So He has given you everything. He has given you all things. He said he has given you all things for life and what? And godliness. He's giving you everything. Can, can, can we imagine that God would do for you and I and for those of us and all of us who decide to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and come back to him? Think about the prodigal son when he came back to, to his father. What did his father do? His father gave him his father did what? Welcomed him with a rope Welcomed him with a ring and gave him shoes to, on his feet. Luke, Luke 15, 22. Luke 15, 22. It says, But the father said to his, his servants, Bring quickly, Luke 15, 22, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, this is what, when he, 
when he left, he said, give me all my, all, my, all my inheritance. Give it to me right now. And he went and lavished it on wild spending. And what happened? He was gone. But his father was still looking out through the window to see when this man is going to come back. But when he finally came back, what happened? He was excited. He was so excited. He said, my son is back again. That's the love of the father. When we come back to him, he's excited. He's, he's very excited. You know, I, I think about it. I think about it. It's, it's, the, same, it's the same way when, I, I believe it happens to everybody. When we come back to God, he's very, very excited. See, my son is back. I'll tell you why. You will see it. You will see it. You know, I want to point out something. You know, when he says this verse 10 of that romance, he says, We are for for since we are friends of we have a friendship with God. Yes, we have a friendship, but we have more than a friendship with God. We have a more than a friendship with God. If you look through some different translations, the passion says. We have something greater than friendship is ours. So we have more than a friendship with God. We have a sonship with God. A daughtership with God. We have a loving relationship with God. Look, let me tell you why I said it's past friends. I tell you why I'm saying it's past friends. Look, friends do not have do not have a commitment with you with your with you too some friends don't go through bad times with you go through horrible times with you friends do not go the extra mile i have not seen a friend that will die for another friend have you seen any friend that will die for another friend it is not normal this is why we are not friends with God. We are, we are more than friends with God. We are children in the family of God. We are children of God. We are part of the king's family in the kingdom. Look, a parent will do more for a child than a friend will do more for another a man's child. A parent, I'll read really it. A parent will do more for a child than a friend. So let me let me read it. A parent will do more for a, a, a child than a friend will do more for another man's child. Praise the Lord. You know why I said that? You look at if you go, if you if you remember uh, King Solomon with the with the with the two women, the two women that came and said, oh, this one took my child, this one didn't take my child. Remember that, that story? That one says, eh, he, he, he got, my child got exchanged. And you know what, you know what Solomon said? In, in, anytime you have a minute, read it. First Kings 3, 16 to 28. 
First Kings 3, 16 to 28. It says, you can read it later, but I'm not going to read it. But I want, I want to read verse 25, 25 to 27. 25 through 27 says, Then he said, Cut the living baby in two. Give half to one and half to the other. The real mother of their of the living baby was overcome with what? Emotion. Hold on. The wipes are upstairs. It says, it says, then he said, cut the living, the living baby in two. Give half to one and half to the other. The real mother of the living baby was overcome with emotion for her son and said, Oh, oh no, master, give her the whole baby alive and don't kill him. And the other, the other one said, if I can't have him, you cannot have him either. Cut him away. Cut away. He says the king gave his decision. Give the living baby to the first woman. Nobody is going to kill the baby. She is the real mother. So, the real mother did not want the baby cut in half. But the other mother wanted the baby cut in half. So this shows, yes, it shows a form of wickedness. But the main point is, in respect of this teaching, it means, it shows us that there's a relationship between a mother and a child. And a strong relationship. And that's why the, the Bible says in Isaiah 49.15, Isaiah 49.15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child or lack compassion? For the son of her womb. Even if she could she couldn't forget, I says, I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you in the palm of what? Of my hands. God has inscribed us in the palm of his hands. He will never forsake us, he will never forget us. He's not something that he's not something that as soon as you come into his kingdom, he will never forget you. That's why you lack nothing. That's you, that's why you lack nothing. He's always remembering you, he's always thinking about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Because you're what? In his palm of his hands. That's the beautiful thing about it. So the, the, the key is that we need to know that he loves you and I and he wants the best for you and loves, wants the best for me too. So I want to use this opportunity that if you don't know Jesus, it's an opportunity because he loves you. He wants you to call upon him. And all you just have to do is call upon him now. And just say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. 
I come to you today. I'm a sinner. But you died for me. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Take control of my life. From this day forward. Thank you, Jesus. For saving my life. In Jesus' name I pray. You know, the Bible says that once you just say this, you're you you're born again. You're coming to the into what? Into his into you've come into his kingdom. And now he's inscribed you in the palm of his hands. He will never he will never for, forsake you. He will never forsake you. He'll love you with an everlasting love. And I know that heaven is happy and glad that one person has transitioned from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear, his dear son, in the kingdom of life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.